Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, September 23rd, 2019, and today we are continuing our thematic study over the books of Luke and Acts as we're recapping just what we've learned through this entire volume. And today we are joined by Jason Sampler, uh, our Georgia State Director, and he will lead us through the book of Luke and Acts looking at prayer and all that we learn from prayer as we look at these two very important books. This morning, we're going to consider the role of prayer in Luke's written accounts of Jesus's life and the early church, that is the gospel that bears his name and the acts of the apostles. Uh, I grew up in a small country church. We had what was called a prayer chain. Many of you may or may not be familiar with this concept, but basically it was a list of people in the church that were committed to praying for other people's needs. And when a person had a need, they called the person at the top of the list and they shared their prayer need. And it was the duty of that person to then call the next person on the list, so on and so forth. And uh, then the entire list would be covered. Everyone would be notified. And then um, a good number, 40, 50, 200 people would be praying on your behalf. And let me tell you that the people at the church I grew up in valued their prayer chain and while I find a great value in God's people praying for needs, something bothers me to this day about uh, the general way in which that prayer chain functioned. I'd say that about 98% of the requests that activated the prayer chain were medical needs. And some have jokingly called it an organ recital. That is prayers that are focused exclusively on bodily organs such as heart attacks or liver or uh, skin cancer or things like that. And while I think our medical needs are important to God, they certainly don't come close to the lion's share of prayer requests that we see in Luke and in Acts. And so this morning, I want to investigate a number of verses that give us a glimpse into how prayer formed and affected both Jesus and his disciples, and to draw some implications for those who follow him today. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at, at a cadre of verses. And so um, I'll, I'll repeat those verses a couple of times, but we'll go pretty fast. I think it is clear uh, and, and easily argued that the Bible presents Jesus as the ideal man of prayer. Jesus is the ideal man of prayer. I believe that the primary difference between Jesus and Adam or Jesus and us, apart from his divinity, was his dependence on prayer. The Bible is clear over and over that it is not Jesus' divinity that keeps him from sinning. It is not his divinity that enables him to do miracles. It is not his divinity that carried him to Golgotha in total obedience. It was the Holy Spirit. And the means by which Jesus was connecting daily with the Holy Spirit was through prayer. And so everything that we should want to know about prayer, we can learn about uh, through the life of Jesus. 
uh, prayer is the vehicle through which intimacy with his father was maintained. For instance, look in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It's a familiar story. Most of the time when we think of Jesus' baptismal story, we look to Matthew, sometimes Mark. But Luke has an interesting account, beginning in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And it was during prayer, Luke says that Jesus had been baptized and was praying, was currently praying. It was during his time of prayer, after his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descends as if a dove and the Father speaks in an audible voice. Jesus' prayers, at least in Luke 3, seem to open heaven. And so he has this intimacy with the Father through prayer. Or what about Luke 5, 16? We see this over and over. But he, being Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is an intentional act of Jesus withdrawing from others, not because he's an introvert, but because there are more important things to be done, like spending time in prayer. A large part of his ministry was teaching and healing and proclaiming that the kingdom was at hand. But none of those things could be accomplished apart from uh, a specific, dedicated times of prayer. That's how he continued to maintain intimacy with his Father. Or what about the Lord's Prayer that we find in Luke 11, verses 1 through 4? Quote, Now when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer contains untold treasures of, 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 of prayer concepts. Uh, too much for me to cover here, but I want to draw your attention to Jesus' instruction that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come and the idea that his followers forgive others who are indebted to us. The, this twofold idea that our primary uh, uh, passion in prayer is that we should be centering our lives, that God's kingdom would come. Matthew says, uh, Matthew's version says, that your, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we know in heaven that the angels are worshiping God, that all things are perfect. And there is, uh, there is a, a, a holiness and, and, and love and worship. And Jesus says, pray that, that, uh, that how life is in heaven, people worshiping, creatures worshiping the heavenly father would also be this way on earth. And that's Jesus's prayer in Luke as well. Your kingdom come. We should be praying that God's kingdom would come. That's how we maintain intimacy with with the Father is by aligning our desires with His, not by any means asking Him to change His desires 
to fit our agenda. Your kingdom come. And then secondly, that we would forgive others who are indebted to us. That it that it's this duty as Jesus, Jesus followers to, to give forgiveness because we have been granted forgiveness from him. Or what about in Luke 22, verses 39 through 46, we are reminded to endure uh, for intimacy and prayer. The scriptures say, quote, and he came out and he went and was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Twice we see in this passage that Jesus links prayer with temptation. The more we pray, the less inclined we are to fall into temptation. Additionally, remember that this is no casual prayer. This is no this is no 15-second, Lord, bless my day today. Give me somebody that I can love or that I can share your, your love with. This is earnest, hourly pleading. Jesus is engaged so heavily in his prayer that sweat uh, profusely drops from his head in such a way it looks like uh, uh, drops of blood, which are thick, uh, and, and it, just, it just pours off of his forehead because of the, the earnestness of his prayer. And he's pleading to the Father because he knows what lies ahead. He knows that the cross is on the horizon, but he's also willing to walk the path towards crucifixion because he trusts his Father. And this trust has been deepened, not because he's prayed uh, casual, uh, quick prayers or even once a week prayers, but because he is constantly in prayer and also because he maintains consistent deep prayer times, what we talked about earlier of him going out to desolate places and being by himself so that he could have time and prayer. So not only does Jesus find intimacy with the Father through prayer, he's also directed by prayer. Look at Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. The scriptures say, in these days, he being Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And it's clear from, from this passage, at least to me, that the selection of his disciples, those who would form the core of the early church, were selected as a direct result of prayer. He didn't uh, set them down and randomly do an eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or, or number them off 
and say, you know, uh, uh, all the number fours uh, come with me. He spent an entire night praying that God might direct him as to who he should select. And I, I, I confess that there are many times that I make major decisions. And how many times do you make major decisions without wrestling all night in prayer? And this isn't a mamsy-pamsy kind of prayer. Again, he prayed all night. Or what about in Luke chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, uh, which records uh, just prior to that, that the 72 disciples that he had sent out, they returned to him joyfully after their mission to preach. And Jesus says, beginning in Luke 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Did you catch that phrase, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit? Luke is talking about Jesus's prayer, his prayer life. It's this idea that it is a blessing or a joy. He's rejoicing in his, com- in his community through prayer with the Holy Spirit. So not only is is prayer the way that Jesus maintains intimacy with the Father and the way in which he is directed in prayer, Jesus also intercedes for people to know him through prayer. Look at Luke 9, 18 through 22. The Bible says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist But others said, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And I think that the scriptures show in this passage that the testimony that Peter gives that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one, was predicated on Jesus's prayers. It is not natural for a sinful man to know that Jesus is Messiah. Peter knows this because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to him. And in some measure, this revelation of Jesus's character and who he is as the Messiah, is due to Jesus' prayer. And so his prayer is, is an intercessory prayer that people would know him. Additionally, Jesus prays for endurance and longevity for his followers. Look at Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is praying for a specific follower that in spite of temptation and of sin and of rebellion and of disobedience, that Peter would remain a disciple, a petition for endurance and longevity for his followers. Or what about in Acts chapter 7 at the conclusion of this incredible chapter of Stephen proclaiming uh, Jesus's goodness and then his martyrdom at the very end, beginning in 
uh, verse 56, the Bible says, And he, Stephen, said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And we see in this passage a picture of Jesus revealing or showing himself to Stephen as a visual picture for endurance. The right hand of the Father is a privileged position. And here we find Jesus revealing himself that Stephen might withstand his execution without denying the faith. Jesus is in essence saying, I was able to withstand my execution and I am at the right hand of the Father. You suffer well, you endure with longevity and you will be rewarded for your obedience, your faithful obedience as well. And not only is Jesus the ideal man of prayer, but the church's prayers we see both in Luke and Acts empower discipleship. Prayer empowers discipleship. Look in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Jesus tells this parable. It says, uh, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Prayer in, in, uh, in, in longevity, prayer uh, uh, being a faithful, uh, a faithful prayer for the same thing over and over. Jesus says, that the Father is a good Father, unlike this unrighteous judge. And, and, and praying over and over, uh, implicitly, it, it likens the, the chance that the Lord will grant your righteous request. And so our continued prayers uh, empower or strengthen our discipleship. Or in Acts 1, uh, verse 14, it says, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. That is, at the very beginning, before the Spirit uh, indwelled the church, uh, Jesus has, uh, has, has ascended, um, and, uh, but, but the church has not begun, and believers are devoting themselves to prayer that they might be united together, or Acts 2.42 uh, after uh, Peter preaches at Pentecost and the church is born, the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. One of the primary things that the earliest church, those disciples that saw Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension were committed 
to prayer because they knew that it was a, 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 a requirement to maintain discipleship. Or Acts 4, 23 through 31, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your path had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This passage is amazing to me. It is a, a very brief account of, of what is going on in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' death and then post-Pentecost. And, and this prayer is that God is in charge of all things. And despite how uh, government forces are against God, uh, both both Gentile and Jewish, uh, uh, and they put Jesus to death, um, and they are persecuting the apostles, they pray, their prayer is, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so in spite of the persecution that we have seen and that we are experiencing and that we know that will be coming, we pray that you would empower us to be uh, a faithful disciples. There are other passages as well. Time doesn't permit a, a, a full account of all the ways that we see in Acts where believers prayed in such a way that they expected their discipleship to increase and grow, to be more like Jesus. I am uh, convicted that my prayer life is not sufficient in light of these verses. One of my favorite theologians is Millard Erickson, and he says this about prayer. Prayer is more than self-stimulation. It is not a method of creating a positive mental attitude in ourselves, so that we are able to do what we have asked to have done. Rather, prayer is in large part a matter of creating in ourselves a right attitude with respect to God's will. Prayer is not so much getting God to do our will as it is demonstrating that we are as concerned as is God that his will be done. Here, in essence, is that phrase from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. This is what we pray for as believers, your kingdom come. Richard Foster once wrote, prayer is a little like an automobile. You don't have to have an understanding of everything about its inner workings for it to get you somewhere. I have found that if we simply pray, even if we pray in wrong ways, God is pleased with our feeble efforts. 
and Jesus lovingly guides us into more excellent ways. Also, we can be assured that the blessed Holy Spirit will adjust, correct, and interpret our prayer before the throne of God. And so in light of this, this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time praying in the ways that Jesus and the early church prayed. And as we've seen five areas in which they prayed, we'll pray accordingly. That is, pray for intimacy with the Father, pray that we might receive direction in our prayer, pray that others might know Jesus, that we would pray for endurance and long-suffering for Jesus' disciples, and that we would pray for empowered discipleship. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Honduras. We are praying for all the children in care of Dinaf, the central authority. We pray for them to know Christ and to know their value in him. We pray for the transitions that will take place in the government due to them recently signing the Hague Treaty for intercountry adoption. We pray as we build stronger relationships with individuals who work for DINAF, the central authority. We pray for DINAF as they implement the new laws and policies that, and that they will benefit the children of Honduras and that they will see the urgency of caring for the children and placing them. We pray for the judges making decisions that impact adoption. We pray as they make rulings and that they will choose to do the right thing in a timely manner for the children. We pray for the children to be reunified with their birth parents or for them to be properly declared abandoned so that they can be adopted. We pray for our team on the ground, Carmen and Livio, our attorneys and representatives. We pray for their wisdom and creativity and endurance as they go to DINAF and the courts weekly to advocate for our families. We pray for them to build good relationships as they work alongside DINAF on families' cases. We pray for families in process. Sometimes this is long and hard and difficult, and we pray for their patience and ultimately for their hearts. We praise the Lord for the families who are in the process now, and we're thankful for their passion and their dedication to the culture and country of Honduras. We pray for their endurance and their patience with the program. We pray for families pursuing specific children that they've fostered in the past and have a relationship with already. And we praise the Lord for our entire team, including Carmen and Livio, but also including Josh and Beth and, and Ferry. And we pray that the Lord will give them wisdom and discernment in navigating the program and in supporting the families. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would truly move in the country of Honduras. We pray that you would do a mighty work. We just ask for this country as they are recently have, have adopted the Hague Treaty. And we just ask that you would go through all those processes with them and help them to come to a place where adoption is both uh, healthy uh, but also useful in this country. We just ask that you'd be with the children that are waiting adoption, the children that are in orphanages, and the children that desperately need your help and your intervention there in Honduras. We think of all the street children in Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula and throughout the country of Honduras. We just ask that you would be with other ministries that are working hard with, with, with Christian orphanages and with believers on the ground to reach out to those children. We just ask that you'd strengthen the church and that you would help the church to reach out and to help these children know Christ and their value to him. And Lord, ultimately we pray you'd be with these families who've already entered into this process. We know it's a long and arduous process and we pray that you give them wisdom. We pray that you give them strength. We pray that you give them perseverance and we just ask that you would help them not to lose heart, but to trust that you will help them complete what you've called them to. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.